0: All right, so we are, this is Biblical Soul Care, Sunday School class, and we are kicking off a new series. It'll be, you uh, anyway, from a month to maybe two months long. We'll see how long, um, depending on how, <laughs> how much discussion we have. But we're kicking off a series on technology and using technology for the glory of God. Uh, and, and technology is literally everywhere. Uh, so everywhere you look. And, and everything that you do, you're probably using some kind of technology. So, real quick, just to get get us talking, um, how many different technologies have you used this morning as you got ready and came to church? Check the weather. Check the weather. What did you use for that?
1: Well, I did look outside. That would have been the night. <laughs> <laughs> I phone.
0: Yeah. So you pull up. We've used phones for. Several things, probably send text messages, call people, but yeah, we look on the weather. What should I wear today? Okay, what else? I use the digital panel on
2: my oven to cook.
0: <coughs> yes. Yeah, so there's lights and things and buttons and knobs to push, and we get heat. Gas or electric?
2: <coughs> it's new uh, gas. All right. Yes. <laughs> So It's not new. Amazing. It's
0: old.
2: It's
1: different. <laughs> <laughs> Started laundry.
0: Laundry machines. So you didn't have to lug your clothes down to the river or somewhere and just did, yeah, wash washes no? out.. Okay. We have a, a magic box that you throw clothes in, put some stuff in there, push a button, and then it comes out clean. Drove here. Drove here. We've got cars, trucks. I did a
2: blow dryer on my hair. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's wonderful. You've got power of the wind and a little gun in your hand.
1: Oh, a blow dryer. Our coffee pot, Our coffee
0: pot went on. on
2: coffee day. pot. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Cool. And coffee. Our vacuums are going
2: over here.
0: Oh. 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 Ooh. We've got <laughs> the the robots taking over. Okay. So the yeah the little vacuum does it by itself. You don't have to push it
2: around. <laughs> Other things? Electric toothbrush.
0: Oh, ooh, electric toothbrush. Mm-hmm. Every reset yeah, my clocks. Technology. This week. <laughs> Yeah, Actually we go. watched two sermons this morning. Okay. We that plenty of time, so. So yeah. Watch the yeah, video so you can yeah, you can pull up some pastor, minister from anywhere around the world and you can watch them preaching. Pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. We had a little
1: technology alarm clock.
0: Yeah, alarm clocks. Snooze, push those buttons. <coughs> no, not yet. So alarm clocks wake us up. There are, I mean, we could, we could keep going. For, I mean, so one, technolo- one uh, dictionary definition of technology is, is right there in your notes. It's the application of scientific knowledge to solve practical problems. So in that sense, I have contacts on my eyes that solve a practical problem of me not being able to see real clear, especially as I'm driving. So these little things that on my eyeball help me to do that. Um, Several of you have glasses. We're all wearing uh, shoes today. Shoes. What practical problem are those solving? They're protecting our feet, keeping our feet warm, allow us to walk without feet having issues and problems. The clothing we wear, the types of materials and fabrics that are in it, that's technology solving a problem. Okay. So. There are, and we could go on and on and on. We're sitting in chairs that were designed to help us to sit and pay attention to something. So technology is literally, I mean there's a little device right here that's recording everything you're saying, and everything I'm saying, and it's gonna be saved somewhere and put up into some cloud and you can go listen to it somewhere. I don't know what the cloud is, so that's kinda weird, we'll come to that <laughs> later, but but that, that's amazing. So is all technology good? Mm-hmm. Here's I some by not okay. good. Mm-hmm. Give me some examples. The phone's
2: pretty handy, but you do spend a lot of time searching for things that are
1: useless. Mm-hmm. A knife is a tool <coughs> technology, and it is morally neutral. It's the use of... The tool that mm-hmm. determines whether it's good or bad. Yeah,
2: there's so many tracks on the technology in regards to individuals that are suffering with addictions, pornography, mm-hmm. gambling.
0: Mm-hmm. <coughs> and gambling is kind of a, a new one in Kansas a little bit. It's now it's like more it, it's expanded because of the sports betting. That's now. Mm-hmm. Uh, legal in Kansas. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things that we can do with a phone or with a device or with a knife okay, that are good. We can do th- good things with that technology and we can also use those things to do evil. Can you think of a technology that is just evil? Just bad?
2: The extreme of atomic devices.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay.
2: They're specifically designed to neutralize what's deemed as a threat but may not be a threat.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, that's a a good point. So, we've got um, atomic bombs.
2: Okay.
0: Biochemical weapons. So, yeah, we can, broad category of bombs, nuclear bombs, chemical weapons that are, cause a lot of suffering. What, is there a... The interesting thing, and and I was talking to my wife about this quite a bit over the last last night we were discussing it, the technologies that bring about those things, the atomic bomb, chemical warfare, uh, a lot of that technology is actually a good technology. So we can have a nuclear power plant that powers and gives electricity to, I mean, hopefully, at some point, a whole nation, you know, and has a lot cleaner and better for the environment, all that, all that good stuff, but that same technology can be used to destroy and kill millions of people. The, the chemicals and the experiments that are done to see what happens to living tissue that leads to um, medicines that save lives can also be used to cause suffering and pain, and destroy life. Russell brought up knives, guns. Is there a good use for those things? Absolutely. Is there a way that those can be used by evil men and women for evil purposes? Yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. (coughs) Well, I think of Satan. He was designed to glorify God. So even he was created for a good purpose. Mm -hmm. But because he fell, I would say now he's purely evil. But yet our good God can still use him to bring him glory. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Yeah, but that, the question of evil evil that could also become a, a big um, part of the discussion as we in the coming weeks talk about technology and how we use it and what what it's for. Um, because we have this question of well, yeah, why did God make the devil? And how does that work? So there are all kinds of big questions that uh, can be brought up here in our in our topic, and I don't think most of us. I guess maybe in my preparation, a lot of my thinking and, and concern is is around digital technology and the internet and those kinds of those are the kinds of things that I've been focusing on, but but. As, as I've been thinking about this and getting ready, there are entire um, categories of questions that are very difficult and and would probably be good for us to, to talk about. Um, when we talk about other types of technology that have nothing to do with electricity at all. Um, but things like um, the genetic editing things. Okay, they're, they're big moral questions with what should we be doing as we discover, make discoveries about genetics, about DNA that's a huge topic there there are things about um, what we do with what they call snowflake babies or frozen embryos who are fertilized human beings those are image bearers that are frozen somewhere what we do with those that, that whole process uh, if, if a, a couple struggles to get pregnant and then they do the in vitro fertilization and those, there's questions there that at the very least we must consider we have to start thinking about one of the, one of the theme that comes up in, in some of these books that I've been reading to prepare is a lot of times we're just accepting technology and we're, just, we're not thinking about what this de- technology is designed to do, how it's going to change me, and change my life, what it says about God, what it says about my obligations to God, and we just, we're just just kind of taking it in. And a big obvious one, a cell phone would be one of those that, that has completely changed the way that we live. And most of the, most of the ways is not, not good. There are some good ways, but there are a lot of bad ways that we've been affected and we've just kind of taken in new technology unquestioningly. Okay, So part of, part of what we want to do in these next few weeks are ask some difficult questions about my use of technology, how I feel about technology, uh, what would God say about this technology and my use of this technology. Uh, am I submitting to God my use of my iPhone, my laptop, my tablet, my TV? So, let's look at our objectives for today. The first one says, we will observe biblical principles concerning human technology, discovery, and innovation. Pretty simple. We want to look at some biblical principles that apply to that, that should inform how we think about innovation and new technologies. Secondly, we'll consider the wisdom and goodness of God as He guides and directs the innovation of man for His good purposes. Okay, so that's the goal. Those are the goals here. Part one is the foundation of technology. We want to think about, and, and last week I mentioned, we're going to talk about kind of a, a theology of technology, trying to figure out what, how technology plays uh, a role in Scripture as God reveals it. Um, and so if our goal is to think rightly about creation and technology, we'll have to start with a firm foundation of God's creation and biblical implications of God as the wise and first creator and innovator. We will then see how God has designed us as human beings to develop, discover, and create new technologies as an act of obedience to his will for us. So, in your mind, imagine for a moment you rewind somebody to a person a hundred years ago. If you could invent technology and go back hundred years and talking to somebody. What would amaze them about technology today and what might scare them? Okay? The amount of privacy that we've given up. I, explain it? Um,
2: we have all kinds of devices that require us to give our information and watch us and track what we're looking at and talking about, mm-hmm. um, even when we're not on our device. Searching. There's okay. probably a whole database of information about what I like and don't like.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there is a, there's a profile. Of all of our data, all that we've purchased, all that we've visited, all that we've clicked on, stories we've read, there's a lot of that. And, and in a similar way, how, how much our technology habits has, have led to an over-privatization of my life. Maybe a lack of community. A lack of relationships. It's one, one of the big, it's so kind of a, a both thing. So we, we allow everybody to, people that we don't know, to track and figure out, know a lot about us. At the same time, my relationships interpersonally with physical people face-to-face have been, I mean, culturally speaking, reduced drastically. What else Might someone from 100 years ago, 1922.
2: How, how much we rely on, on it? Oh, sorry. So, you go ahead. How dependent we are. Yeah, I already said the same
0: thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, how much we rely on it? How, how dependent we are on technology, and if and if it just went away, what would we do? Yeah. Withdrawal. Withdrawal. With, withdrawal, okay. Yeah. How addictive it is, mm-hmm. it can be.
2: I think just the possibility of being able to communicate on video with someone on a whole different continent it would just blow their minds. Yeah. Like as if you're face to
0: face. And we're, we're talking about like just the cars that we have, the way that we can travel, the way that we can extend our voices and, and have a face to face, face to face, FaceTime conversation on a screen and I can see somebody and hear them and they're on the other side of the world. That would be amazing,
2: yeah. I think they'd be shocked at how like our youth can't have a really hard time having conversations with you. I mean, over and over, we've been told by people, oh, your kid is so, you know, like, they mm-hmm. look me in the eye, and we talk, and I'm like, dude, this isn't rocket science. Like, it's, it's not that hard mm-hmm. to have a conversation with a kid, but they, so many apparently
1: don't know how to do it.
0: Yeah. And it's back to a comment that we made, this is a second ago, is people have been become so um, in their own world, where face-to-face conversation is uncomfortable, and it's seen as, as almost like an encroachment on—it's like, an inconvenience to have to talk to somebody. Um, and that's that's setting aside the possibility of like just social anxiety. Because I'm just fearful of people because I care so much. Especially our young people care so much what people think about me. It's paralyzing to, to a lot of kids.
2: I think the change and definition of the family. Over the last hundred years, isn't mm-hmm. it very detrimental? Mm-hmm. I think if we were talking about positives, if we tell somebody from a hundred years ago about the advancements in medicine because of technology, that would be a benefit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, thinking about advancements is like in dental work. <laughs> That was, a, that was a really bad deal, that was a really huge problem to have dental problems 100 years ago versus right now. It, it is still a problem, but it's like a problem for maybe a couple days until I can get into the dentist and then they can fix it. Drill something, pull something, fill something, you know, clean something, they, they do stuff and then it's, oh, I feel better. Yeah, so there's a lot of those types of advancements that they would be amazed at positively and then there's a lot of things that, that would be probably scary. How do you imagine God feels about, as he is watching, observing, technology advancements?
1: What do you think? He allows it to happen. Mm-hmm. Think of energy. He you know, allows man's technology to advance to where we can create new energy sources mm-hmm. that we wouldn't have had it accessible. Mm-hmm. technology for man to survive. I think it's just, him sitting back and observing it, I think he's more allowed. Mm-hmm. man technology advanced to allow man to survive more. Sure. Along those lines too, it's the creation mandate, right? That we're supposed to fill the earth and subdue it. And so I think to a certain extent, it's like, I don't, in my, my picture of what the new heaven and the new earth is gonna look like, I don't think we're going to be um, tilling the earth, which we will be tilling the earth, but I don't think we're gonna be doing it with wooden plows. You know what I'm saying, like mm-hmm. so. I think part of, part of those technological advancements are um, are ordained. They are ordained by God, but for the purpose of completing or bringing to culmination His promises mm-hmm. from Scripture.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. He so. predicted it. Oh, sorry. Keep doing that. He predicted it too. I mean, he talked about how the whole world would be watching as the temple was rebuilt in three days you know, that had to be advanced as a technology for it to be rebuilt in three days and for the whole world to watch.
0: Well, and I I would say like, so when God predicts and and he dictates, there's certain things I I think what I want to get at with this question too is if we're not careful, and there's a a note there, if we're not careful, we can start to think about God as like, he's like an observer and he's just kind of like excited. Maybe if you're positive, he's excited to see what we'll do with the stuff that he made, you know? Or if you're more like me, you're like, he's like angry. You're messing up my world. What are you doing? There's, um, if we're not careful, we can kind of treat God like he's a human, just watching to see what's going to happen. When in reality, all of the innovation and all of the creation quote unquote that, that humanity can do he knows it all and he is guiding it all and it will serve his good purpose so as we, as we think through this God is the first he, I mean, he creates, he is a creator he innovates he designs and that and, and we as image bearers I'm going, to, I'm going to show you where we're going as image bearers we have some of that as well so let's look at God as the creator God is the creator of all things turn in your Bibles real quick to Job 38 yeah. swipe in your Bibles yeah. use your technology by the way this is technology too I mean this is think about what they had to do before in ancient times when uh, the priests would tell them scripture. They would have to listen really closely and then they could, what, what do they do? And then eventually it was written down and then we have <coughs> our own copies of it.
1: it's interesting to consider just the, uh, how, how God uses innovations, like even the printing press, right? Mm-hmm. To spark and to proliferate his word in order to reinforce the Reformation, right? So there's just a lot of things. Which like was that. designed
0: by a staunch Catholic guy, and then he made the print- printing press, and then God used it. And that that is like the thing that that just caused the Reformation to explode. I bet that guy is probably pretty disappointed. He <laughs> looks at his legacy. Like, uh, Whoops. I think on the opposite side of that, too, as far as sin's concerned, there's nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. So, like, while the means of
2: that heart sin has changed. It's still
0: the same root sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point that we'll have to just, we'll have to really evaluate too. Because a lot of times we say, "Well, the technology has done this to kids these days. The the, the phones have made us this way." We have the desire in our hearts the whole time, mm-hmm. and we're using the phone to deepen our sin. We're using it to grant us. More access to the sin. So a lot of times, yeah, that's exactly <coughs> right. We, are, we can't blame the device because the desire is in our hearts. And it's, it goes for the kids and, and people who are use, using their the phones incorrectly. It goes for the parents who are allowing that. It goes to for us as, as adults who are using it in some of the same ways as kids are. Yeah, so. It's not the technology's fault. God doesn't hold the iPhone culpable for my use of it. So now Job thirty-eight in the context here, this is the God finally God finally speaking to Job. Job isn't questioning, he's been um, accused by his friends of sin that he hasn't committed and well God wouldn't do that if you hadn't done something really bad and then finally as Job is going through this he's questioning God he's like why is this happening and, and this is really interesting and as we read this um, I want you thinking in terms of what human discovery is it competing with God on the same page with God when there's an advancement, what are the implications of, of what God is about to say here? And we're going to, we could read like two chapters here, but we're not going to. I'll read, starting in verse 1. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you, and you make it known to me. Verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus shall... Thus far shall you come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it it is changed like clay under its seal and its features stand out like a garment from the wicked uh, from the wicked their light is withheld and their uh, their uplifted arm is broken Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. He goes on, look at verse 31. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Have you established their rule on the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clouds stick fast together? And he goes on and on and on along those lines. God is the creator. Everything that is possible, God knows. So he's not like this observer, just anxious to see what's going to happen or... Or anything like that. So, but what what implications can you think of for human discovery after reading, thinking about God as the creator and the limiter of creation? And I can, so along these lines, cause I, some of this is, David, do you have some? But, like if you look at the next the next question too, the idea is can man ever design or create something that God would be surprised by? No so the, there are limits on what we can create and what man can innovate For one I mean one hot hot topic right now is, is transgenderism right will doctors ever be able to find a way to to transition a person who believes their gender is different from what their biology is. Is that possible? No, no. There will never be a way to do that. Why not? It's
2: in their DNA on every single cell.
0: It's in their DNA. God has put limits on that. God has defined things. When we create, when somebody—not me—when somebody made an airplane, okay, they. Why can't we fly at warp speed? Can't we do like the Star Wars thing, you know, do a wormhole? Like God has put in, built in, to all of his creation limits. He is, he is the one who assigned all of matter their properties. So human innovation... And design, and when we create new technologies and new ways to treat illnesses or new ways to correct eyesight, it will be because we have observed God's creation and we've learned from it. Okay? That, that is one of those things that, that it, it's really a, a good mind shift. To stop thinking of um, people who design you know, like Mark Zuckerberg or people who design these things, like they're they're just like warring against God. But they're no, they're doing things. Any innovator, any creator, anyone who is actually developing some technology, they're observing God's creation and they're taking what they learned from that to make something that will solve a, a problem. Okay? So Let's look at an example of God innovating. Look at, in your notes there, Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. Question number seven What is the problem that God sees and states in verse eighteen? It's not good for man to be alone. And this is before sin, right? So this is not like after the fall and now now Adam's broken and needs help. No, from the beginning, it is not good for Adam to be alone. What does he do about it? How does he go about solving that problem? Yeah, He says, I will make him a helper, right? I'll make him a helper fit for him. Does he just like right then go... Uh, there we go. Here is here's the woman. Here's Eve. What does he do with Adam? He
2: performs anesthesia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Our yeah. The baby. first surgeon. The first yeah. Yeah. Was,
0: yeah. Even before that.
2: Creates animals. Yeah. Creates other living things.
0: hmm And what does he do with the other living things?
2: Brings them to Adam.
0: Brings them to Adam. And what is what is God doing there? by having Adam name all of these animals. He's he's noticing something. There's nothing else like me. I'm alone. We've got male and female of all of these animals. I'm naming them. And animal after animal, nothing is suitable for me. So God God is showing Adam his need. And then he performs surgery. Right? He, He... Let's him sleep, takes a rib out, forms Eve. So God is an innovator. God is the one who has a purpose. He does everything according to his plan to accomplish his goal. It was from the beginning that he knew that Adam would be in deep trouble if he was by himself. It wouldn't be good. So he makes Eve. Eve. Let's look at Genesis 3.20, 21. The man and his wife, this is after the fall. The man and his wife, he called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. What's the problem here?
2: Required death.
0: Mm-hmm. So, and, so one of the problems is they, they've sinned against God and God has said... That there's there's a death that needs to be paid. There's a heat sin debt. And so he helps solve that problem by doing what?
2: Took an animal and it took the skins off the animal to clothe
0: them. Kills, kills an animal and he clothes them. What else is he also doing by giving them clothes?
2: Giving them a covering of their sin.
0: He's covering their shame. That, so there's a problem. When they had eaten the fruit, what was their first realization. Nakedness. They realized that they were naked and then what did they do? They hid. And they decided to make coverings for themselves out of, out of plants, but God solves that problem. And so in a, in a practical sense, God gives them clothing to cover their shame. Look at page 3 in your notes. Uh, already answered that one. God solves the problem of their sin because it required a death, right? And he gives them clothing. <coughs> so we see that before and after the fall, God demonstrates his wisdom in the way that he designs creation. You see, he solves problems in creation by giving Adam a helper suitable for him and that after the fall, he provides skins to cover their shame. He extends mercy to them. <coughs> So God is the creator. He is the innovator. And then we are in his image. Look at the next point. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So what are the implications? Man in the image of God in the context of innovation, technology,
2: People are called to have dominion over creation Mm -hmm. and in order to do that there needs to be some sort of innovation in us or ability to create in us in order to continue to have dominion and fill the earth and subdue it.
0: Yeah. In order to obey God we have to innovate. So far from being something that we're doing that that God is either like opposed to or maybe just neutral about no, God... God requires us to innovate to, have, to exercise the dominion uh, and to, as we'll see in a little bit to work and keep the garden it's another thing that, that Adam was, uh, and Eve commanded to do
2: and even in a sense um, we are a copy of something, we're not in and of ourselves a brand new Like we we're to reflect, Christ. Um, God which was supposed to be the image of him mm-hmm. so in our perfect state We should, in a sense, look like God. So we're not something separate from God, something completely different. We're supposed to reflect Him and His character traits and all those Mm -hmm. pieces as well.
0: So, as God's image bearers, we're called to reflect His goodness and wisdom and authority on the earth. And as we read the following text, let's describe how we obey this mandate. Look at Genesis 2 8 and 9. And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So before we read the next one what are what are we what do we see in verses 8 and 9? <clears throat> How are we innovating? Okay, 8 and 9, we're, we're not innovating as much, but we are, God is innovating, right? What God is, He's making these plants that can make food, right? And He is designed it to satisfy us and to, to give us energy and things like that. And then verse 15, this is where, this is where we start to innovate. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, "You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of every tree of the knowledge of good, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die." And the Lord God said, "It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make it a helper fit for him." So, on verse 15 and 16, how does God expect Adam to do? that mandate, to work and keep? Some of you have gardening or farming um, backgrounds or knowledge. How do you start to to work and keep a garden?
2: I think one advantage they have here Mm -hmm. is that the weed hasn't been created yet, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so this is before the curse. There's no stickers, There's no weeds.
2: <clears> he might <throat> eventually, eventually figure out how to take little branches and replant trees and do all that stuff. To how
0: are you going to do that? Is dig with your yeah. hands? Like
2: exactly, make tools to do it.
0: Right, so, yeah. so Adam's going to have to make some tools. Eve is going to have to make some tools, use some tools. What else are they going to have to do? Harvest. You have to harvest things? Yeah, you have to. Find ways to get the fruit. What else?
1: As a storage, okay,
0: yeah. Storage okay. of food.
2: I think understand that there are boundaries.
0: In what way? And
2: he says you can do all this but you can't have this. Mm-hmm. in terms
0: of technology around food. Can, if I've never had a garden, what do I need to do before I can start gardening? (coughs) Google it. (laughs) 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 Google it. Google, I can Google it. What do I need to Google? What do I? What do I do with the, the soil? Does it matter if like? What, do I need to know? I I have a seed. Soil depth does that matter? Yeah. How much water does it need?
2: I just think God's in it, and
0: He supplied everything
2: back then. Oh, in the Garden of Eden, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure it was.
0: But there, there is a process that I'm sure Adam and Eve. If we're just kind of imagine, okay, how does this work? I don't think we're going to have to study this and watch things. We probably going to have to do some experiments. How does this particular plant grow? Is there a reason why it's here and not in this type of soil? What is there a difference between the the rate of growth and what I'm doing to it? How do I keep this? How do I work the ground? There there are a lot of things that we take for granted now because either you you already know how to garden or I just go to Walmart and, and get it, and somebody else did it for me. But there's a lot of, of knowledge and innovation and studying and observing that has to happen before you can really have a successful garden okay. and not you know have the same tomato plant. that the Tomatoes are always cracking. I have no idea why. It does. That does That's what it does in my garden. Now, you would think that I would Google it or talk to George or somebody and, and hey, George, what's wrong with this? There's, I'm doing something wrong. Or the soil's wrong, or I'm watering too much. Whatever the case is, but there's a lot of a lot of work that Adam had to do that I've never thought of before. Like, just think, well, he's going to work. He's just going to walk around and point, and then the plant's going to shoot a seed over there or something. I don't know what I thought was happening, but but Adam, as he's obeying God, as he's working and keeping, as he's exercising dominion over creation, he's having to design use things form tools find ways to store food or maybe he just picks it up as he eats I don't, know, I don't know how that worked but he's having to innovate and that is a direct um, act of obedience to God in the innovation
2: that also develops a theology of work as well that mm-hmm. work in itself is not evil anymore, mm-hmm. and that we shouldn't complain about work is actually a good thing
0: Mm -hmm. yeah work is good work is right it's obedience when we work so going on to well got a little bit of time let's look at the next point here God reveals knowledge to man does God leave it up to man to figure out how to work and keep the garden without any help and the answer is implied, is implied no look at Isaiah 28 23 through 29 give ear and hear my voice give attention and hear my speech does he who plows for sowing plow continually does he continually open and harrow his ground when he has levied its uh, leveled its service, surface does he not scatter dill sow cumin and put in what wheat and rows? And barley in its proper place, and emmer as the border. For he is rightly instructed, his God teaches him. Dill is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin. But dill is beaten out with a stick, and cumin with a rod. Does one crush grain for bread? No, he does not thresh it forever. When he drives his cartwheel over it with his horses, does he not crush it? He does not crush it. This also comes from the word of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. What is God doing in that passage? He's instructing. Now, what does it look like for God to instruct a farmer? Audible voice? Don't put it there, put it there. Don't keep plowing, stop, that's enough. For Adam it might have been. I mean, they walked in the garden mm-hmm. together. So. Yeah. Adam, yeah, you, he walked in the garden with God. But everyone else so much. Yeah. So how does that work? Th- there is, built into creation, God reveals things about himself. So he, the reason that people are able to be successful farmers is because God teaches them how. Whether they want to admit that or not, many, most, would not, would reject that statement. Where does that knowledge come from? It comes from God. God teaches. So, that's, that's another way that God is guiding Innovation. He's teaching farmers how to farm more efficiently and, and better. I was I forget what it was now, but there was, there was a, 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 an article that I was reading that was talking about how there's enough I believe it was nitrogen um, naturally occurring nitrogen to support a population on earth of about three billion people. And we are over seven billion now. How is that possible? Because God has helped farmers have develop ways and to grow more crops to support more people. So that that's an amazing thing. That God sustains the population of the earth, which would otherwise be impossible by innovation. So can you think of instances in scripture where God exercises sovereign control over man's innovation? I'll do an example too here.
2: Tower of Babel.
0: Tower of Babel. What was what was man trying to do there?
2: Trying to reach the heavens and be more of a god themselves than relying on each god.
0: Make a name for ourselves, yeah. And and what did God told them to do? Spread. Spread out throughout the, throughout the world. And they were opposing themselves, putting themselves in opposition to God. So God got worried and he didn't know what he was going to do and then he finally figured out, oh, I can just make their... No, no, that was God limited them.
1: It could be the same way with creating a human being. Mm-hmm.
0: Human being drive, drive, yourself, yeah. yeah. So God directs technology. He limits technology. He does not just allow us to just imagine whatever we want to and just find a way to create that thing or design that thing like Mark's talking about with transgenderism. We can't, we can't just, I, I want to, in my mind, I want to be a, a member of the opposite sex. So I'm just going to find a way, some, some surgeries and some treatments and some chemicals and some medicines. And I'm going to talk to myself. I'm going to listen to people that are going to help me turn into something else. That's not, it's not possible. God is not going to allow that. He's built in limiting principles into creation.
2: Well, they're now using technology, trying to say that you can live forever by surrendering your mind to the machine and live in the cloud, and actually pick what kind of environment you're going to be in the cloud. Which sounds absurd, but there are people that are desperate to do that.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, that's going. That's a lot of things. That's a big topic. We could we could talk about. <laughs> we're talking. What? Yes, we're gonna we're talking. No, doesn't. Well. <laughs> The idea that we can find a way to live forever, that we can defeat death and we can avoid the wages of our sin. That's never going to happen.
1: I think another because we you know we look at the big the big things where God uses directly influences innovation or utilizes that. But other stories where it's it's part of the story, but it's not the main point of the story. So you look at Jonah trying to charter a as far away from Nineveh as he can possibly be. Mm-hmm. And you know, you think about like trade routes and technological advancements in shipbuilding and having and being able to travel over seas and oceans and all this, trying to escape what God has purposed him for. Mm-hmm. And God is like, no, here's a storm. So ma- so no matter like just in like no matter how how well trained that crew was, how sure they've been on that route before Storm comes along and they are pleading, "Why is this happening? What's going on?" Mm-hmm. And then, as soon as they realize Jonah's the Jonah's the problem, goes away. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah. And along those,
1: like
0: speaking of boats vote, uh, and Noah and the ark, can you imagine how like Noah had to build that the ark? And God showed him. God gave him instructions, but he had to build it. You had to figure out how you, how you get all this lumber in a shape that's going to float. And God says, use pitch. Use, okay, i got to make pitch. you got to figure out how to get pitch onto the boat, inside and out. Like There's a lot of technology that Noah and his family had to figure out how to do and fill in kind of the gaps there where God gave me instruction, and now I need to obey him and do this and now I've got to go figure out how to do that and he did so there's a lot of I mean think about how some of you have been to the creation museum Um, I've not been there yet I hope you go some at some point because it's a great example of how big that thing was And, and if you don't have any cranes how are you doing that that's uh, that's amazing. So Noah was able to do it, though he he obeyed God. They his he and his family must have been some brilliant, brilliant people. Um, I don't have the the text here, but uh, in in after Adam and Eve, and it's going through the genealogy. You've got descendants of Cain, who innovate. You have um, one of the one of his grandsons is the father of all. Uh, who work with metals. You have another one who does all of these instruments. And another one who does all of these things with livestock. That's innovation. And Sometimes you wonder, why didn't God just kill Cain? I mean, start over. Well, some of his descendants were going to innovate some things that God wanted made, God helped them make it. Now we have music. and we have metal. It's just amazing things that God, in his wisdom and sovereignty, is Guiding and directing all of that with people who are not believers. Cain's line is not the believing line. There are probably some that, that believe in Yahweh who worship Yahweh, but most of them are, gonna, are like their fathers. Okay? And so God does not just, he's not just limited by, I have to use Christians to make these things that are good.